Joe Biden is banning seven countries worth of Africans from entering the country as the new Omicron variant of COVID rages across the continent. The president has cut off travel from South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Namibia, Lesotho, Eswatini, and that's actually what I had for dinner last night, Mozambique, and Malawi, which might remind some people who can remember all the way back to last year of Donald Trump's travel ban, which Joe Biden called, quote, hysterical xenophobia. Here is how White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki tried to explain away the change of tune. Before Joe Biden was president, he Mm -hmm. said that COVID travel restrictions on foreign countries were hysterical xenophobia and fear-mongering. So what changed? Well, I would say first, to put it in full context, Peter, what the president was critical of was the way that the former president put out, I believe, a xenophobic tweet uh, and how he called, that, what he called the coronavirus uh, and, and who he directed it at. The president has not been critical of re- travel restrictions. We have put those in place ourselves. We put them in place ourselves in the spring. But no, he does not believe, he believes we should uh, follow the advice of health and medical experts. That's exactly what he did in putting in place these restrictions over the weekend. Ah, okay. You see, it wasn't what Trump did, but how he did it. The White House is now resorting to the retort your wife makes after a pointless argument. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. Pretty weak sauce for a simple case of hypocrisy that stretches all the way from South Africa to Waukesha, Wisconsin. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from the Drummer's Workshop at Norm's Music, who says, Santa's eggnog probably had some fluoride in it. (laughs) This in response to, I would imagine, the Norway, Norwegian gay Santa Claus ad. Uh, uh, Perhaps, yes, there's, uh, it's hard to explain. Some things in the air, maybe some things in the water. If you want something really delicious to be in the air, I would recommend you check out Thompson cigars. You know what I did last night after I finished my work and we had dinner or cleaned up a little bit? I went and I sat outside with a good book. I had the fire going inside so I could kind of see it through the window. And I sparked up a stogie and I had a lovely, lovely time. I would recommend that you check that out as well. It's a wonderful way to unwind, especially during the wintertime. And you know where I get my cigars? I get them from Thompson. And I've gotten them from Thompson Cigar Company since I was 16 years old and my mother gave me my first box of cigars for Christmas and she ordered them from Thompson. I really love these guys. They've got amazing stuff. Prices cannot be beat. They've got basically every cigar out there. They've got, if you don't want to commit to a full box, they've got these amazing five-pack samplers. You can try a lot of different stuff, figure out your flavor. Uh, A lot of my favorite brands, Oliva, My Father, Padron, just really top-notch stuff. Right now, sit back, take a break from the craziness with a cigar from Thompson. These guys rarely do offers. Right now, they're offering our listeners 15% off orders over 75 bucks or 20% off orders over 99 bucks. To take advantage of these savings, go to thompsoncigar.com. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, when you're ready to check out. T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, cigar.com. Use promo code Knowles. So Biden bans Africans because of the Omicron. Just one more variant, just a few more days to slow the spread. We're now, we're now at 20 months of 15 days to slow the spread, but just a little bit more. 
and then don't worry, you can get back to your normal life. People obviously are looking at the hypocrisy. They're looking at what seem to be these pointless lockdowns, this unnecessary upending of our way of life. And they're saying, cut it out. We don't want this anymore. We don't want the lockdowns. We don't want the masks. We don't want the mandatory Fauci-ouchie. We don't want you. We don't want you ruling class. That's why your approval ratings are all in the doldrums right now. Dr. Fauci has a different explanation. The, the exalted doctor, the highest paid government employee in the federal government, and the, uh, the most powerful politician in the country <laughs> who has survived seven U.S. presidents at this point, Dr. Fauci says the reason people are going after him is not because he keeps changing his mind, and it's not because he's lied, and it's not because he's held on to his power for well over 15 days now, well, you know, c- coming up on two years. It's because... He represents science. There are a lot of Republican senators uh, taking aim at this. I mean, that's okay. I'm just going to do my job. And I'm going to be saving lives and they're going to be lying. It seems another layer of danger to play politics around matters of life and death. Exactly. Exactly. And to me, that's, that's unbelievably bad because all I want to do is save people's lives. I mean... Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. To me, that's more dangerous than the slings and the arrows that get thrown at me. That is dangerous, Dr. Fauci. It is very dangerous when some flunky bureaucrat liar claims to be the vicar of science on earth, to represent, to stand in for science itself. I gave a speech, you know I hate to say I told you so. I gave a speech probably a year ago now, if not, if not longer ago, where I said that Dr. Fauci considers himself the high pontiff and the priest of progressivism. Instead of wearing a cassock, he wears a lab coat. Instead of a pectoral cross, like a bishop or the pope, he wears a stethoscope, but that he considers himself to be the ultimate authority in our government and very possibly on earth. And it seems I was right. He is using language here that is a bastardization of the language that a pope might use. A pope who, who will claim, based on apostolic succession, based on the institution of the church on earth by Christ himself, that he is the supreme pontiff, the vicar of our Lord. Dr. Fauci, who I suspect would mock those sorts of claims, as religious views uh, don't seem exactly orthodox, Dr. Fauci is making even more audacious claims with regard to his role in science. I am, I represent science. And I'm, look, I'm just trying to save people's lives. I'm going to save people's lives and those Republican senators are going to lie. Ha ha ha. The arrogance, the far, far more delusional, far more arrogant than anything any right wing religious person has ever said. And you, you saw at the end, he laughs. He goes, who cares what those senators say? They want me out of my job, those duly elected representatives of the people. Ha ha ha. Whatever, who cares what they say? I'm just going to keep doing my job. And the laughing is warranted because he is more powerful than the senators. 
In the constitutional system that the framers and the founders envisioned, probably Dr. Fauci would not be more powerful than U.S. senators, but in reality, he is. Senators are going to come and go. Dr. Fauci is going to remain. Presidents are going to come and go. Dr. Fauci is going to remain. They can do their damnedest to, to get him out of office. It's not going to do anything. These public health officials are unhinged. Some apparently even less hinged than Dr. Fauci. The Canadian indigenous health expert employed by the Canadian government uh, has just lost her job after being exposed for lying about her Native American ancestry for her whole career. So uh, this woman, uh, uh, she became the nation's top voice on indigenous native health and uh, now she's been kicked out of her government job and her university professorship because uh, she lied about it. She initially said that she was a member, I think, of the Metis tribe. And then she said that she was also Anishinaabe and Tlingit. And she, her story kept changing and she kept becoming even more and more native. And then she would wear native clothing. And, and then it turned out that she's just a regular white lady. So, so she took a job from a Native American. Presumably that job would have gone to a Native American in our identity politics culture. And, uh, and she claimed to be Native American for her whole career. And then she was exposed, much like Elizabeth Warren, who did exactly the same thing. And, uh, and a number of other people too. Rachel Dolezal did this for black people. And there have been others. Uh, there was an NYU professor, I believe, who, who was a wh- white lady, Jewish lady, pretended to be black. Uh, the reason I bring this up is not just to make fun of these lunatic women like the Canadian doctor and Elizabeth Warren and all the rest of them. The reason I bring it up is because we are told that some races are oppressed and some races are privileged. And we're told that basically white people are privileged and everyone else is, else is oppressed and especially Native Americans and, and indigenous people. They're the most oppressed of all. But the reality seems to be the opposite because the white people are pretending to be Native American. If being Native American meant that you were oppressed, if being white meant that you were privileged by the law, even by society today, just standards and mores, then it would go in the other direction. Native people would pretend to be white. White people, everyone would pretend to be white because that's how you get the privilege. And people want privilege, don't they? Or they want to be able to claim victimhood when when actually victimhood confers a certain privilege. It confers social currency. Gets back to something we've been talking about for a number of days now, which is that when, when you scapegoat somebody, when you say straight white men are the cause of every problem in the world, you are scapegoating, but you don't know that you're scapegoating. The people who are doing this, the libs, actually think they're just on the side of justice. They're on the side of the oppressed. They're on the side of the victims but they're not. They're not. And I think that you see more proof of this every single day. But as long as kooky white ladies put on headdresses and and frizz their hair to make them look more African, as long as that is a social phenomenon, then our sense of who is oppressed and who is privileged is backwards. (laughs) And that's just the way it goes. And you see this not just in some Looney Tunes from the Canadian health ministry. You're seeing this all the way up to the White House. 
all right, which, is, which has a lot of problems these days, not, not the least of which is the economy. So when you want to take advantage of the current economic situation, I would recommend you check out American financing. There is still time to make a positive impact on your budget before year end as mortgage rates remain near money-saving lows. Now, you might be thinking, why? My mortgage, it's fine as it is. Well, uh, maybe you should be asking, how can my mortgage work for me? And that answer can be found at American Financing, America's home for home loans, because they give sound advice. They don't pressure you. Instead, their salary-based mortgage consultants get to know you so they can lead you to greater overall savings. It could be as simple as finding a shorter loan term or consolidating debt because there is more to a refinance than just a lower rate. And through this, they save customers up to $1,000 a month. So why don't you see what they can do for you? Call 800-685-5696. That is 800-685-5696. Or you can visit American Financing dot net. NMLS 182334, NMLSconsumeraccess.org. Joe Biden is not going to visit the families of the victims of the Waukesha terrorist attack, where a black nationalist guy intentionally drove his SUV into a bunch of, I guess, mostly white people and and injured dozens of them and killed half a dozen of them. Uh, Joe Biden's not going to go visit those families. He's barely going to acknowledge it. Peter Ducey in the White House briefing room asked Jen Psaki, said, hey, uh, Jen, why isn't the president going to uh, acknowledge or or go spend some time with the victims of this terrible attack in Wisconsin? Here's her answer. Since the president said that this administration is monitoring the situation in Waukesha closely, it has been revealed by prosecutors that the the assailant swerved his truck side to side as part of an intentional act to run over as many people as possible. Six people are dead. Some children remain hospitalized. Why hasn't the president visited the members of this Christmas parade attack? Well, I would say first, um, as you saw the president convey last week, our hearts go out to this community, to the people in Waukesha, that we've been in touch, obviously, with officials there, and we're all watching as people are recovering, and this is such a difficult time of year for, for this to happen. It's a difficult any time. Uh, obviously, any president going to visit a community requires a lot of assets, requires taking their resources, and uh, it's not something that I have a, a trip previewed at this plan, point in time, but we remain in touch with local officials, and certainly our, our hearts are with the community as they've gone through such a difficult time takes a lot of resources for him to get out there. And so it's just not a good idea. You know, it's just, but you know, we're monitoring it. So, so he, but he can't go in person. That would be crazy. You know, he went to George Floyd's funeral. He went and you might say, well, he wasn't president then, but he was running for president. He was going to be the nominee uh, this was in June of 2020. It was the, at, uh, allegedly the height of the coronavirus pandemic when ordinary Americans were not allowed to even hold funerals for their dead loved ones. And George Floyd got a special exemption from this because he became a secular saint, so, so canonized by the media. And then Joe Biden showed up there and he even spoke at the funeral. He was, he was running for president, was going to become the president. He was a former vice president. He was a former senator of many decades. So it wasn't, it, logistically, it wasn't tough to do that for George Floyd, but it's, it's too difficult for Joe Biden now to go visit the families of not just the family of a career criminal who was killed while committing a crime and resisting arrest under circumstances that will be debated for many years to come, 
no, no, he can't go visit the families of the six dead people. Uh, and one of the victims was a child and the dozens of other people who were injured killed in a, a terror attack by a black nationalist. Can't go visit them. Right? It's too logistically. It's too, no, it's not. It's not, but it, it does get back to this point of oppression and privilege. <laughs> because the, the left's narrative is that white people are bad and black people are good and all black people are good and all white people are bad. And uh, the greatest scourge, the most pervasive evil in the country is white supremacy. And so the George Floyd event, the George Floyd killing, did, really didn't even didn't fit that narrative, but they made it fit that narrative. George Floyd became this innocent guy who was doing absolutely nothing wrong. And the officer became a vicious white supremacist, even though there was really no evidence of that. And so it fit that narrative. Whereas what happened in Waukesha doesn't fit that narrative because the guy there, just looking at his social media, appears to hate white people. He espouses black nationalist rhetoric, Hebrew Israelite rhetoric. That's the kooky group that believes that black people are the real Jews and the Jews are evil. And according to the evidence that we have, he was swerving to hit people with his car. He wasn't trying to avoid them. He was actually gunning to hit people. So that narrative doesn't fit. And so he's not going to show up. And, and a lot of politicians don't want to talk about it be, because the minute that, that you suggest that the left's narrative on race or sex or whatever isn't correct, you're accused of being a bigot or a racist or a phobe or whatever stupid word they're going to call you. And so a lot of politicians, even Republicans, don't want to touch it. They say, ah, oh, better just to sit back here and let's just move on and let's just ignore it. One politician who's not just going to ignore it, Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. Is that how it works? The SUVs, they just drive by themselves? This just kind of happened? And they say, oh, this was a big accident. Uh, you never actually hear the discussion about who committed this. Uh, what was the motivation? Uh, this guy was a career criminal, let out on, didn't really have any bail, basically. Should not have even been on the street. Uh, had clear anti-white animus. Uh, and this was an intentional act. And it seems like, you know, for corporate press, they're more apt to, to characterize a parent who goes to a school board meeting to protest bad policies as a domestic terrorist than somebody who intentionally rams an SUV into a crowd of innocent people. And we'll see what the actual motivation was. Uh, it very well may have been in response to what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. And you have to wonder if that's the case. Almost assuredly, this guy's view of Rittenhouse was, was colored by all these media lies. This press conference was basically perfect. It was written, if you had the most sophisticated Hollywood slash Washington DC writer to, to hit every single point you need to hit, he probably couldn't have done a better job than what you just saw there in that press conference. DeSantis is getting the attack for what it was. He's demonstrating the courage to talk about it, to talk about crime, first of all, a lot of Republicans now are running away from talking about crime. They want to talk about criminal justice reform and letting the criminals out of prison. In, up to and including Donald Trump, who did that. I love Donald Trump, but, but even he made a big legislative effort to let cr criminals out of prison. DeSantis is saying, no, we need to put more criminals in prison. Should never have been out in the first place. He's demonstrating the courage to talk about the left's crazy racial narratives. He's saying, look, this is an anti-white crime by all evidence that we've got. We always talk about anti-black in, in our culture, but we never talk about anti-white 
discrimination and bigotry. And he's willing to talk about that. So again, that's, you're not supposed to touch that. That's not what the, the establishment wants you to talk about. DeSantis is willing to do it. And then most important of all, beyond the crime and beyond the left's kooky racial narratives, he's, he's putting it all in the media. He's saying, we'll find out what the motivation was here. But if the motivation was something to do with Kenosha and Kyle Rittenhouse, then the media bears some culpability here. Because the media presented a narrative to unhinged freaks like this guy in Waukesha who, who probably believed the narrative that Kyle Rittenhouse was a terrible white supremacist and this was a racial attack and it was just BS from the media. But, but freaks like the guy in, in Waukesha aren't going to know that. And, sometime, and so what, what DeSantis is saying is this, is, this crime lives within a context of media corruption. He opens up talking about the corporate media, he closes talking about the corporate media. Really smart. The other thing that DeSantis does here that's really clever is injects himself into the story. Why is the governor of Florida talking about a crime that took place in Wisconsin? Why? How does he do that? I get why he would talk about coronavirus and he's been kind of the leading voice among governors on coronavirus. But how is he going to inject himself into this story in Wisconsin? Well, he's holding a press conference about how Florida supports law enforcement. All right? So that's something that a governor could do. We support law enforcement. It was obviously an opportunity. It was bait for the media to show up and then he can smack the media down on this story in Wisconsin because it would seem clear to me that Governor DeSantis is eyeing the presidency. It's very clever stuff. He's, he's right on the issue, but he's also playing a pretty clever game in terms of setting himself up to run for president. Now, if Donald Trump runs for president again, probably that's dead on arrival. Probably he clears the field. But if not, he's positioning himself pretty well for a guy who was relatively unknown a couple of years ago. Now, speaking of the media, speaking of the presidency, the, the libs who run almost the entire media, they know that Joe Biden is not looking so hot. They know that He's, his mental acuity, not what it once was, and it was never all that great. Uh, they know that physically he's not doing well. His physician just said that he has trouble walking and that sort of thing. They know his approval rating is down in the 30s. Then they look at Kamala Harris. Her approval rating is down in the 20s. Her approval rating as vice president is lower than Dick Cheney's was uh, by the end of his tenure looking over the Iraq war and after he shot that guy in the face. So that's not looking great. So do you know who the desperate media are trying to generate buzz for? Presidential buzz for 2024. This is really, really pathetic. They're trying to make President Pete Buttigieg happen. Now, I don't know if they must have blinders on or something. Maybe they're just getting too much blue light in their eyes, which is why they really ought to check out blue blocks. One of the worst parts about staring at a screen all day is that usually you get a ton of blue light in your eyes and you don't even really notice it. You don't notice it until you block out the blue light and then your eyes feel a little less strained and it it can help with anxiety and headaches and all that sort of stuff. This is why I love the blue blocks, blue light computer glasses. Other brands do not compare to the quality you get from Blue Blocks glasses. Blue Blocks are made in optics laboratories in Australia. They are not mass produced in factories in Asia. And unlike other blue light glass companies, Blue Blocks uses science-backed technology tested to ensure that they work 
These glasses come in non-prescription, prescription, and reading options. Blue Blocks also has great products such as the low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, and 100% blackout sleep masks, all backed by science. Blue Blocks ship worldwide in rapid time. They have easy returns and exchanges. Trust me, you're going to love it when you block out that blue light. Blue Blocks currently has their Black Friday sale campaign running. Great news for all of you is you can save 25% off all products through the end of the day. Today, the 30th of November, 2021. I definitely recommend ordering more products during this mega sale. This is right now. It's I know we're going an extra day, but go check it out. Blueblocks.com to save 25%. Blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. 25% discount code is automatically applied at checkout. Also, make sure you go get an incredible book. I'm not just talking about my books. You all know about Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a comprehensive guide. That's my number one Amazon bestselling blank book, still selling like hotcakes years later. Makes a great stocking stuffer. You know about Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, my number one national bestselling a book that just came out this year. That one has words in it, so I appreciate that. This is a totally different genre of book. It's from my colleague, Matt Walsh. It's a children's book, and it's called Johnny the Walrus. Johnny the Walrus is an excellent tale of identity and imagination. It's waiting for you to purchase it on Amazon right now. Head over to Johnny the Walrus, J-O-H-N-N-Y, thewalrus.com. Pick up a copy of Matt Walsh's timely masterpiece. I have been waiting for this book to come out for a long time. I read the draft of it when Matt wrote it up. It's, uh, it's about a little boy who thinks he's a walrus. And unfortunately, his crazy mother and crazy society indulge him in that, uh, in that delusion. Go check out the book today. We'll be right back with a lot more. Welcome back to the show. The libs are trying to make President Pete happen. And I assume none of you read these beltway liberal establishment outlets like uh, The Hill or Politico or any. That's usually sensible conservative folk who don't work in politics professionally. They don't ever even, I mean, I barely look at them and I do work in politics professionally, uh, but they're really trying to make Pete happen. So The Hill just linked in the past few days to a Politico playbook piece called Politico. Politico buzz grows about Buttigieg 2024. Uh, Buzz grows. Ooh, buzz, buzz, buzz. Okay. Well, what's the buzz? What's he polling at? Later in the piece, they admit that Pete Buttigieg's approval rating is only 38%. So it's not, you think presidential buzz would be what, like 60, 70, 80%? No, it's 38%. He's only relatively buzzy. His approval is only relatively high because all of the other people in the Biden administration are even lower. So the Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, her approval rating is 33%. Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, 30%. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, oh, how's he doing after Afghanistan? 29%. And those guys are relatively high compared to the rest of the administration. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, 26%. White, oh gosh, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain and Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, 25%. This is pathetic. The whole administration on every single issue is underwater. And so Mayor Pete 
the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, whose next job was transportation secretary. And then he immediately took two months paternity leave to who who knows to do what. Not sure exactly what, what he would be doing during that time. What he wasn't doing was his job as transportation secretary during a supply chain crisis. <laughs> so very rarely does the secretary of transportation matter. It's just not, a, it's not one of the hottest jobs in Washington. Once in a blue moon, that job matters. And we just so happen to be living through that blue moon because there is this once in a lifetime supply chain crisis going on. And Pete was absent on the job because he was home chest feeding his children. Uh, probably the presidential buzz is a mirage. It's probably a fever dream in the minds of desperate liberal swamp creatures who are seeing their chances at 2022 and 2024 uh, disappearing before their very eyes. Probably not going to work. He's also completely out of touch. So even beyond his dismal performance on the job and his complete lack of political experience (laughs) before he got this job, he's also absolutely unlikable and out of touch. Uh, Joe Biden, or Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg was just asked on MSNBC about what Americans can do who are struggling at the pump. Don't forget gas, well, you don't forget because you fill up your cars yourselves. Gas prices are through the roof. In California, they're up to $7 a gallon. Uh, Secretary Buttigieg, what do, you, what do you have to say to Americans who are struggling with the difficult economy and the high energy prices, and it's right around Christmas time, what do you have to say? And Pete Buttigieg says, buy an electric car. It contains incentives to make it more affordable to buy an electric vehicle, up to a $12,500 discount in effect for families thinking about getting an EV. Uh, Families that once they own that electric vehicle will never have to worry about gas prices again. Uh, Well, what I would tell them is uh, you should just buy a Tesla. I just, uh, if you're having trouble filling up your Honda Civic, then uh, just go and buy, if you want to buy a Tesla Model X, that used to be uh, $106,000. But now under the Build Back Better Act, it's only $91,000. So, uh, so we think this is really going to help Americans. And then you don't need to worry about gas <laughs> because electricity comes from magic. So it doesn't, it's not electricity. You just you just plug it into the electricity tree and you never have to pay for it. Is that how, the, I don't think that's how that works. Mayor Pete, well, just buy the Model S then. Then you'll only have to pay $50,000. Uh, okay. I don't think that's going to work, Buster. <laughs> I don't, who is this convincing? Who, like what does a Politico reporter or a Hill reporter or any other Beltway type from the liberal establishment, what are they thinking when they listen to this guy and they say, yes, there's, there's the winning ticket for middle America. They don't recognize the chasm between the institutions that they have spent a lot of time in and reality. And, and part of this is because the elite institutions once played a huge role in shaping the public opinion. And they no longer do that to anywhere near the same degree. Right? The debates in the Yale Political Union, that's the debating club for undergraduates at Yale, they used to be reported in the newspapers the next day, the way it came. Now that, that doesn't happen, okay? <laughs> and part of this is because all those people who would go to, to 
Yale or Harvard or Princeton or whatever, they would end up in the mainstream media, not the alternative media, or some of us have been banished, but they, they would end up in NBC, ABC, CBS, the New York Times, the Washington Post. And all of those legacy media outlets had a lot more influence. And now they don't really anymore, and people are looking at, at different sort of places. Okay, that common culture has been ripped apart. Pete Buttigieg, I think, plays really, really well with a certain type of liberal elite. The kind who went to Harvard, the kind that worked at McKinsey Consulting, the kind that still read the New York Times. He, he plays pretty well with them. But that, the, the Times readership is dwindling. Okay, the, the cultural prestige of places like Harvard and Yale and Princeton is dwindling. You used to think, oh, wow, these are the great elite institutions. Now you look and you think, oh, Yale, that's the place where that crazy shrieking girl screamed at her professor and said, this is not an intellectual place. It's a place of comfort at home. Oh, yeah, Harvard. This is now where all these kooky students are protesting all sorts of nonsense. Oh, yeah, that, uh, I, oh, McKinsey. What is that? Doesn't play. Does not play. So Mayor Pete, probably not going to play very well. And this is backed up by polling. So there's a new poll out from The Hill and Harris X showing that Vice President Kamala Harris and former First Lady Michelle Obama are currently leading the pack for the presidential nomination in 2024 if Joe Biden is out. So you might, you might expect Kamala Harris, even though she's so deeply unpopular, you think, well, she's the vice president, so she's just has better name recognition and she's kind of considered to be the next in line. And Michelle Obama, that's kind of a surprising one, perhaps. Uh, the survey was of a little under 1,000 registered voters. Harris led all the contenders, contenders with a 13% share of support. 13, that's all she got, 13%. Obama, Michelle Obama followed with 10% support. A poll had a 3.2% margin of error, so they're running neck and neck. Other candidates received 5% or less. That includes Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Mayor Pete, Mike Bloomberg, oh my God, Andrew Yang. Okay. I don't think Michelle Obama wants to be president. I don't think she's doing the kinds of things that you need to do if you want to be president. I don't think she's shown really any interest in it. She's gotten to live in the White House for eight years. She, she really did not position herself like, for instance, Hillary did during the Bill administration. During the Clinton one administration, they positioned themselves as two for one. You're going to have co-presidents. Hillary Clinton was going to run the health care policy in the 1990s. There were bumper stickers in the 90s that said, impeach Clinton and her husband. Okay. Michelle wasn't doing that. Michelle Obama was focused on getting kids to eat apples in lunch, right? They, she was not doing the sorts of things that would position herself to run. And Kamala Harris is currently at 27% approval rating and 13% in this poll. The Democratic Party is in a lot of trouble if Joe Biden doesn't run in 2024. Now, speaking of women's issues, you've got these two women topping the poll. There is a woman with spina bifida, which is a debilitating condition. She has filed a lawsuit against her mother's former doctor, seeking millions of dollars to cover her healthcare costs on the argument that she should never have been born. So Evie Tumbez, she's a 20-year-old equestrian show jumper from Lincolnshire, England, is suing general practitioner Dr. Philip Mitchell for wrongful conception. This is according to the Telegraph. 
Uh, she says that the doctor, quote, failed to advise her mother to take folic acid supplements before getting pregnant. And she claims this resulted in her birth defect. She further claims, according to the Post, New York Post, that her mother never would have had her if her doctor had informed her that she needed to take folic acid supplements to minimize the chances of the defect affecting her baby. So she is suing the doctor for allowing her to exist. If the, if the doctor had told the mother to take this supplement, then the mother, it's not even that the mother would have aborted her exactly. She's saying she never would have conceived her in the first place, perhaps. And in any case, the woman is saying, I'm alive and that really offends me. So you got to pay me millions of dollars. This is the logical conclusion. I know it seems very illogical and, and it is in the grand scheme of things, but this is in a narrow sense, the logical conclusion of a society that views physical pleasure as the ultimate end. And that's, that's what we do. And a lot of cultures have viewed that, have viewed life that way throughout society. Cultures that practice eugenics tend to do that, right? If a baby's born with a deformity, kill that baby. Our, the ancient Spartans did that and we do that today. If a baby's conceived and has Down syndrome, now doctors will tell you, hey, we're going to screen for Down syndrome and then you can kill the baby if you, because you don't want a Down syndrome baby. Who would want a retarded baby? That would be terrible, right? It'd be the worst. Go kill your baby. That's what they say. That's what they say in the doctor's office. And if you, I remember, because we, you know, we were going through this and when my wife was pregnant, they said, okay, do you want to test for, you know, abnormalities? And we said, absolutely not. I said, well, what do you mean you don't want to test? I said, why? Why would I test? Because so that I can kill my kid? Uh, No, I'm not going to kill my kid either way. So uh, no, I don't think we want to do that. And they looked at, the doctors look at you like you're crazy. But societies that view physical pleasure as the ultimate end of things, they don't think there's any higher end in life. They don't think there's any higher justice, any higher virtue than just feeling good. They think that if you've got any kind of suffering or suffering above a certain threshold, then it's better to to be dead. But this woman obviously doesn't really believe that in her heart of hearts. Because if she really believed that it were an injustice that she were alive, she would kill herself. And she's not killing herself. She's suing a doctor for millions of dollars for being alive. Well, if you think being alive is such a terrible thing, you can end that right now. You shouldn't. That would be a great sin, but you can. She doesn't really believe it. She doesn't really believe that at all. I'm glad she doesn't believe that. I'm glad that at least at some really basic level, she recognizes the error of her insane view of the world, but then take that to its logical conclusion, which is that actually suffering isn't the worst thing in the world. Actually, physical pleasure isn't the greatest thing in the world. Actually, maybe suffering can be sanctifying. Actually, maybe there's something higher than physical pleasure. Actually, maybe we're made in the image of God, a God who loves us, a God who suffers for us. And maybe there there are higher things in this world. Maybe we have a purpose here. And it's not just to feel good. Maybe there's a higher morality than if you feel good, if it feels good, do it. But a lot of people are confused these days. You want to talk about confused women. Demi Lovato, who is a Hollywood celebrity. I don't even really remember what she's known for, but she has gone off the deep end in recent years. She has just gone viral again for spreading all kinds of kooky ideas about aliens and about 
the universe and about the energy man, you know, and the vibrations. And people are making fun of her and she's radically changed her appearance in recent years. And she is, is indulging in all of these strange sexual ideologies and new agey type of uh, religious views. But what's even crazier is that Demi Lovato is no more nuts than your average secular <laughs> liberal today. Demi Lovato goes on some show, I don't know what show it was, and explains her encounters with the supernatural. I decided to sing for them, and they went off when I finished. They I applied. never had a standing ovation from ghosts. I love it. But this, I'd like to think they were standing. The standing ovation with my tios is otra, otra, otra. <laughs> You've made contact. I have made contact. It's not been in like the ET phone home type of sense, but I have made contact by meditating and looking up and seeing things in the sky that weren't there when I started meditating. So now that you've made contact with ETs, Mm -hmm. maybe not this kind of contact just yet. (laughs) Not yet. But if there was an ET that hit every box of criteria that would be like the most ideal partner. Like, would you date an ET? Yes, absolutely. I'm so tired of humans. (laughs) I'm so tired of humans and their human bull (laughs) I am so over it. Bring me an alien. Uh, Bring me an ET. Yes. So a lot of people watching this are, are saying, don't do drugs, kids. Not even once. This is your brain on drugs, not even... Uh, that, that would, that's a good argument. But I'll go further than that. I don't think that Demi Lovato is especially nuts. Certainly not by the standards of Hollywood. But I don't even think she's really especially nuts by the standards of our secular liberal culture. I think a lot of people believe the stuff that she believes. I think if you... She might be a little more open about it and she's going on TV shows about it. But I think if you polled your average millennial girl in LA or some liberal place, and you said, hey, do you believe in in aliens? Probably you'd hear, yes, I do believe in aliens. Of course, it's a big universe. We're not so special. Of course, there have to be aliens out there. Okay. Do you believe in ghosts and spirits? Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Because I'm not really, I'm not religious, you know. No, religion's bad, man. But, you know, I'm spiritual. You know, I'm really spiritual. So I don't, you know, I don't go to church, but I go to yoga, you know, and I meditate and I'm really, and I have crystals and I'm in touch with and my horoscope. You know, I'm a Libra with an ascending Scorpio and I was born at the hour of the moon on, if, and you you know, Mercury's in retrograde. So what that means is that the universe, man, is putting out vibes. And you'll hear this crap for hours. <laughs> if you go to a party in LA or maybe a little less so in New York, people are slightly more grounded in New York, but Austin, I don't know, San Francisco, you go anywhere where the secular liberal culture is vibrant or vi- as vibrant as it can be, you will hear this kind of stuff. Okay, this watered down new age weirdness. And it reminds me that uh, while the secular liberals believe that religious people, Christians especially, are superstitious, most superstitious people in the world, actually, it reminds you, we are the least superstitious people in the world. Traditionally, religious people tend to be the least superstitious people in the world because 
contrary to the spiritual but not religious people, the people who take religion seriously apply rigorous systematic thinking to their religion. Thomas Aquinas was not spiritual but not religious, right? Thomas Aquinas applies rigorous logic to his religious views and and discards certain views that were popular at the time and goes further on other views. This is true of all serious theologians. There was a great, there is a great meme I saw going around of uh, someone who was uh, in swimming in the ocean and had a fishbowl on his head. And the fishbowl said religion and the ocean said spirituality. And uh, my, my friend posted this meme and he said, uh, oh, you mean that the, the glass allows you to see things more clearly? <laughs> actually puts, glass actually puts things into perspective? Yeah, I guess that is what religion does. Uh, this stuff is much more pervasive. And, and I think that uh, we, uh, rather than just uh, laughing at the most extravagant people who push this, this kind of craziness, maybe we ought to take a look at ourselves and examine our own beliefs and think, hi, if maybe my views aren't so different from Demi Lovato's. And maybe that's a problem. And maybe I should start thinking more seriously <laughs> about the universe, man, and my place in it. Where do, where do people learn this stuff? There's actually some good news. There's some good news here. Undergraduate enrollment in America has dropped 8% in the last two years. Awesome. Great, great stuff. According to a report from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center, 7.8% fewer students are now participating in undergraduate programs with public two-year schools and private for-profit four-year schools seeing the most significant declines. This is really good stuff. I am not saying that no one should go to college. I know that some conservatives say no one should go to college unless you study engineering or whatever. I actually don't I don't think you should study engineering in college. I think you should study literature and history and philosophy and theology and the liberal arts to help you make sense of your freedom if you go to college at all. And there are very few institutions where you can get a good education anyway. But I'm not saying no one should go to college. I'm saying you should keep the ends in mind. Why are you going to college? For the conservatives who say, we, you just need to study engineering in school. Say, Why? Why do you need to go to college to learn engineering? I actually don't think you do. You can go to trade school for that. If you want to just, if you want to learn business, you don't need to go to college. You, these are, these are technical arts. You can learn them on the job. It's probably best. Or you can learn them at a trade school. You can't really learn literature at trade school. You can do it on your own, but it helps to have a guide. It helps to have a teacher. But what's the, what are you after? So many Americans are blindly stumbling into college and going into a quarter million dollars of debt to get a worthless degree where you don't learn anything about a job. You don't learn anything about your freedom. You don't learn anything about your civilization. And the things you do learn are BS. To quote Tony Soprano, you finally read a book and it's BS. So why would we do that? Got to keep the ends. And and you, you can apply this to the broader society too. What kind of society do we want to have? What is, what is the purpose of government, of our communities, of our family, of our place here? What is the purpose? What do we want to see happen in the end? And how do we get there? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, 
The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, updates on the Waukesha attack, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial begins in New York, and the Senate considers Biden's Build Back Better plan. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire.